Dr. Wyatt, how are you this morning? I am fantastic, Mr. English. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. I, you know, I'm loving this uh, actual visual that I'm seeing. I'm, I'm upstairs in the Taj Mahal where Dr. Wyatt resides, and we see a wonderful view outside, and so um, it just uh, brightens our day. But I'm going to jump right into this podcast. So, Dr. Wyatt, if you could, please let our audience know your educational background. All right, Mr. English, great question, and, and thank you for the opportunity, first of all, to be here and with your program, Children Deserve Success. I know the amazing work that you guys do, so it's, I'm just fortunate to be a part of it and be a part of your team. Uh, as for my ed- educational background, wow, this you know goes all the way back to high school, elementary school. I grew up in Fontana, California, um, where I graduated in 1987. Absolutely uh, amazing uh, public experience uh, for my education. You know, um, it was a one high school town at the time, so there was a lot of pride um, in our town and in our city and our schools. So, um, you know, that was something that I think has been a real strong foundation and platform for myself, not just for education, but my work ethic. You know, we, we were called the Steel Mill Town. We had Kaiser Steel there. So, you know, we were a blue-collar town, and we were in like an indoctrination process when we were about four or five years old through different athletic uh, programs, in our city specifically football, but about working hard, playing hard, and working as a team. So that, that's kind of a mantra I've kept with me my entire life, my entire career. Uh, so I moved on from there. Really wasn't 100% sure what I was going to do. Thought about going into the medical field. So I went over to RCC, Riverside Community College. Um, wasn't my best experience because I wasn't uh, disciplined yet. So I dang near flunked out of college my first year. And I said, this isn't for me, so I'm going to work construction. So I worked construction for a couple of years while I was going to school. And I found out what construction is and that consists of neither. I didn't even go back to school. So I went to Chavy Community College after that, and um, I thought about being an x-ray tech, x-ray technician, because it's about a two to three year program, and uh, I just didn't know if I was cut out for long-term education, and so spent a few years there, um, and I learned, well, you know, I can do this, and so now we're talking almost four years now to high school. Uh, it took me about two and a half years to get my credits to transfer to Cal State San Bernardino, so now we're looking at uh, about five years out of high school. And I transferred to Cal State San Bernardino, and I had made a decision that I wanted to be a criminal justice major. And so I either wanted to work in uh, law enforcement or education. So it's like, oh, well, how's criminal justice go with education? Well, it really doesn't. But I knew it was one of the things that I, one of those two fields I wanted to work in. So I graduated in 1994 with my BA in criminal justice, so seven years later. Um, And I was very fortunate to have a friend who was a neighbor that had asked me if I ever wanted to teach. And I said, yeah, I've thought about teaching, you know. And just by chance, and I'll be honest, by miracle of God, that this guy asked, would you like to try to teach in juvenile hall? I said, juvenile hall? I didn't know that. One, I didn't know about juvenile hall. Two, I definitely didn't know they had a school in juvenile hall. So he told me, when you, uh, when you graduate, take your CBEST right now, and you could sub for me. So I took my CBEST, um, which is, you know, your test to be a substitute teacher. My senior year in college, I graduated. And I called him up. I said, hey, I got my degree and I got my CBS. I'd like to sub. So he put me right to work. Uh, first job I ever did was in what was called an RFP program. Uh, it was more of a horticulture um, ROP program. And so I worked with landscaping, horticulture, and um, building skills. And I actually fell in love with the job. I said, man, this is where I want to be. So I went on uh, with my education to 
get my multiple subject teaching credential so I could actually become a teacher there. So I did that. Uh, eventually um, got hired full-time in 1998 uh, with the county, San Diego County Superintendent Schools, and um, started a community school and worked in uh, Victorville Community School, then Apple Valley Community School. I was kind of like the fireman. I was putting out fires up in the Desert Mountain region. Then I uh, finally got the chance to transfer back to Juvenile Hall. So I got back to Juvenile Hall, I found out uh, there was really a need for our, our students with disabilities in Juvenile Hall because so many of them um, came in um, with disabilities, learning gaps, um, diminished skills, you name it. And so I said, I need to go back and get my special ed credential. So I went back to work on my um, special ed credential, mild moderate credential, um, so I could better serve those kids and those particular kids in the facility. And uh, actually it was one of our first prototypes for dual credential teacher in our, our juvenile court school program and eventually our community school program, all did. So I did that and then from there I started working on a master's in education technology. Um, I was doing that and I didn't quite finish my master's in e-tech but I did get a graduate certificate in it because I needed to finish um, um, my master's project and I ended up uh, having an opportunity to get promoted. So you know through my work at juvenile hall as a teacher I became the lead teacher there which is like a vice principal. And then the opportunity for principal came up and they had talked to me about that. So I had to do an immediate uh, shift in my education. So I had to leave the e-tech program and I enrolled at University of Redlands for my education administration credential, which once accepted that program gave me the opportunity to become principal. So completed that program, became principal, and uh, really did um, enjoy my experience at University of Redlands. So I went and got my master's in um, education administration there. So I, I transitioned my uh, credential into my master's, which is only about three more four more classes so get my master's really enjoyed that so they started a doctorate program over at uh, University of Redlands and so at that point I was, I was faced with a really hard decision you know whether to um, go to USC because I had folks that wanted me to go to USC I had folks that wanted me to go to Pepperdine I want folks that wanted me to go to Laverne but University of Redlands was like a home to me and the way they treated me there um, you know they knew me by name it made you feel like family it made my learning experience a very positive learning experience plus it was in educational social, um, educational social justice and leadership. So we were looking at equity issues. That's what the whole program was designed for, was to create greater access of equity for all students, you know, pretty much all over the place. So I entered the doctorate program. I completed that in 2010. Um, obviously moved on to my career and become an area director of student services, which I am right now. Was eventually also um, uh, elected Samuel C. Unified School District School Board. Something I didn't ever imagine doing, but um, you know, I had some colleagues talk me into doing it, and um, you know, I'm, it was a privilege and definitely an honor. That's where I'm at right now in my career as a, a school board uh, vice president, San Francisco Unified School District, and also continuing as the area director of student services uh, for San Diego County Superintendent Schools. And then, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, as a new school board member, I went to you know get my education in boardmanship, Brown Act, and then also a master's in governance all through CSBA. So um, I've done a couple AXA programs, pupil services, uh, school business management, and I'm currently enrolled in the human resources and personnel administrator program. And that's where I'm at. Wow, Dr. Wyatt, that is quite a career thus far, and you still have quite a ways to go. Yes, sir. All right, so with that, let's move on to uh, talk a little bit about your educational philosophy. Okay, well, you know, I think a lot of people throw terms around kind of freely, you know, I, we've talked about transformational leadership. That's been a, a term that's been around a long time, actually, and it was the basis for 
um, my master's program and then my doctorate program. And, you know, we used to talk back in the day, you know, what does that mean to transform education? Well, back then it really meant to create greater access for um, marginalized student populations. And we could go into that in tremendous detail. But really uh, it was all about access, right? Access, making sure that every student, regardless of their color, race, disability, gender, country of origin, had the same access to a quality education that, you know, maybe a student who was considered privileged would have. You know, and so that that's kind of the whole, you know, idea behind it. But as time has moved on and, and we look at transformational education, that level of access and opportunity has really grown. You know, I think COVID-19 really uh, taught us a lot, right, that just like because we provided technology to kids maybe, say, in the classroom, didn't really mean that they had that access at home. So we really had to transform how kids were educated and learned at home. So actually through the pandemic, we created you know the one-to-one smart device ratio for all our kids, both in county schools and in uh, city schools, as well as giving them Wi-Fi access. Because a lot of our kids who were marginalized and low socioeconomic status didn't have those things. They didn't have a smart device, they didn't have Wi-Fi at home. So when they went at home, you know, they, they had to depend on maybe going somewhere that maybe had Wi-Fi, maybe going to a school library, staying after school, um, wherever that may be. But now they had the same access that a student that maybe was privileged, that had smart devices at home and, and Wi-Fi in their home. They had that now too. So that, that was a big piece in regards to talk about transformational education and how we educate kids. Um, I think all of us, all of us in education have really transformed how we have learned to teach kids as well. So it's been a learning curve for us. We're getting pretty darn good at it. Um, but like you said, we can always get better. What we're doing right now is a part of technology, podcasts. You know, I know you do a lot with technology, uh, Mr. English. You utilize Nepris. You utilize, um, you know, web-based uh, conferences and summits and trainings all up and down the state, as well as just meetings throughout the county that we participate in. So the bar has been raised tremendously in regards to education, not just for our students, but ourselves as professionals and our staff. And uh, I like to think that, you know, I've always been at the forefront of that, but at the same time, I'm always learning about it. And uh, I work with folks just like you, as well as other professionals in, in our field, and putting together um, think tanks really, really challenges us to think outside the box. There are jobs out there right now that kids will have in five to 10 years we didn't even know about. So how do we even educate them for the unknown? So we've got to really incorporate our youth as well as our local corporations and businesses on what does the job sector look like in the future and how do we prepare our kids for that? Dr. White, it's obvious that you're a champion for all kids, for all students. Uh, so my, le- my next uh, question kind of lends to that. As an elected official, how do you see your role as it relates to the community? Well, wow, uh, Mr. English, great question again. And... Um, at first, I really didn't know what my role was. I didn't really know the influence a board member could have on a community and on the district. I knew what I wanted to do, and that was to help kids and help our community make this city a better place to live at and grow up in. But wow, did I find out that our board members, our school board, has tremendous influence over how a district is ran, you know, how our policies and procedures are implemented, you know, how our budget is... Um, you know, allocated throughout our programs and how we prioritize expenses. So all those things were a, a huge learning experience for me, but also a very positive learning experience. I always tell people about 
my first board me uh, meeting I went to as a board member and some actions we took that night, which were absolutely phenomenal. And this is really what um, painted the picture and taught me uh, what I could do as a board member for this city and this district and the kids and families within this district as well as the staff. And that was, um, we had a parent come in. Matter of fact, uh, Mama Daniels, I believe, was who came in. Jaden Daniels' is mom, who's now playing a quarterback for ASU. She brought in a tattered, worn-out uniform. She said, this is what our kids have to wear when they go out and play against other schools. We already have a city that's struggling. We already have a city that's poor. And so now our kids feel like that when they go and play. And I said, wow, that's crazy, you know, it really does make sense, you know. So myself and uh, another one of my colleagues, Mr. Danny Tillman, we, you know, we had started a discussion about well, what it will it take to give our sports programs, boys and girls, middle school through high school, to give them brand new uniforms and then allocate a half million dollars every year to upkeep those uniforms. So we talked to our CBO at the time, which was Miss Janie Christakos, and said, you know, that's going to cost about a million dollars to make happen right now. So we asked our board for action. Our board agreed, and we approved it right on the spot, $1 million, to get all our sports programs new uniforms. That same evening, same evening, um, I brought up a concern that we had about 15 to 1,800 kids on a waiting list for an after-school program called CAPS. You know, it's a safe place for our kids to go for tutoring, for different types of clubs, different kinds of programs, different types of activities, um, as well as food in the afternoon. So it was a safe haven for our kids to go to, another place that gets them off the streets, another place that allows maybe working parents or single parents um, to have their kids somewhere safe that they can you know, feel okay with. But yeah, we still have this many kids on a waiting list. And I said, we, that's, we can't have that. Every kid has to have access to the after-school program. There's no excuse for a waiting list. So once again, you know, we had a discussion with our board. And once again, I asked our CBO, Ms. Janie Christakos, how much would that cost approximately? 1.5 million. Talked to the board, had a discussion, asked for action, made it happen. So my very first night as a board member, 2.5 million dollars that didn't exist in programs immediately was now in programs and created significant change. That's when I, I learned that as a board member, yes, I have a major impact on this community and a major responsibility to ensure that every one of our kids has equal access again and is treated equitably across the board. Wow, that's fantastic. Your school-sponsored programs are really a catalyst for not only students um, remaining, uh, not running afoul of the law, but actually having a safe place to be, and then learning some things outside of the educational realm that we know. You've reached the end of another episode of the Children Deserve Success podcast. Our interview with Dr. Scott Wyatt continues next time in part two of this very special three-part interview. As always, we hope you stay well and continue to transform lives through education.